We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at BlueWire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up? And welcome in to another BuzzBeat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. This episode is brought to you by our partners, Bet Online, and visit betonline.ag. I want to start off this episode real quick. I, I know we kind of get into our pleasantries to start this episode, but I wanted you guys to give one TV recommendation because there's a TV show that I just watched that I, I really literally just finished probably minutes before getting on this uh this podcast here, but any TV shows that you want to recommend to our listeners, just go ahead, Brian or Spencer, and I'll, I'll give you mine in a second. Oh, I got, I got too many to, to throw in. Just there, one, Brian, just, just one. I'll, uh, okay. I'm, uh, I just started up Deadwood on HBO and, uh, it's an older show, but going back and, and going through that's awesome. And if you're looking for something lighter, I would suggest Brooklyn nine, nine is a good place. I would say Homeland is, is a good one on Showtime watching that right now. Uh, you got to stick with it. Um, Brian turned me on to Mr. Robot, which I'm, I'm getting through my wife bailed out, which I predicted, but I'm, I'm sticking with it. Uh, (laughs) I I know you said one Richie, but the Sopranos, I finally took the deep dive. Um, my, my wife and I about four or five months ago, finished it not too long ago, possibly my favorite show ever. It's the goat for a lot of people. That's for sure. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, for whatever reason, I can't, find myself to start that show. I've heard great things about it. Uh, maybe I just need to bite the bullet and just go for it. How many seasons is it, Spencer? Do you know? It is seven, okay. six, seven. It's not uh, too bad. I, I guess I bad. should know that. I'm at. Homeland's eight, so yeah. that, that's also a deep dive. I can't believe Home, Homeland's one of those, uh, you know, Bamani Jones used to sell the the segment, he's he's still in the league. Uh, Homeland is one of those yeah, shows yeah. that I like can't believe. I'm like, it's 
eight seasons. So like, I can't believe that show is still in the league. Always Sunny's like that too. You're like, <laughs> yeah. and they've done 15 seasons or whatever, you know? Yeah. Hard to believe. Well, there's a show that I'm watching called Outer Banks on Netflix. Mm. Um, it is actually obviously focused in North Carolina. And it's kind of like a mixture between the the Goonies and One Tree Hill. It's got the drama, like the young American teen drama, but it's also got the fact that these kids are going on this like treasure hunt and uh, the, the main character's dad is missing at sea and he's kind John of research. John B. Is that who you're oh, talking John about? Oh, John B. Here? Yeah. 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 I've watched I watched the show. It's oh. uh, yeah. so I haven't watched it, but we started it, I think, on like Friday night. Got like 10 minutes and we're like, no, we're good. But I remember <laughs> yeah. seeing the trailer. Now, this is like just a quick story. So I played college golf. So that golf course in the trailer, uh-huh. when I saw it, I was like, that that ain't the Outer Banks. That's the ocean course in Keewa Island, South Carolina. I knew it oh, immediately. Yeah, yeah immediately. no doubt. So it was yeah. definitely filmed in Charleston. That show is geographically not super reliable, both based off of – I've been to the Outer Banks a lot. Outer Banks doesn't look like that. <laughs> and, uh, and without spoiling anything, there is one episode where they take a ferry from the Outer Banks to Chapel, Chapel Hill. Hill. Yeah. Um, which, no, <laughs> is obviously uh, not possible. But funny, the Cape, nonetheless. The Cape Fear River doesn't go that far inland, right? I no, it does not. Not, <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Yeah, supposedly I read up on it, and the reason they didn't film, they were they were trying to film in the Outer Banks, but that was during the time of the uh, the bathroom bill, the HB2 bill. Um, gotcha. And so that's why yeah. they decided to go down to South Carolina to film. Okay. So uh, what we've done in the past couple of episodes with the draft prospects, we have just have run down the profiles of each of these players, and uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit. So we chose three prospects last week we put it out on twitter and asked for your input on questions uh let's take a break real quick and we'll get back to your input on twitter with currently no nba nhl or mlb you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack they're bringing vegas to you Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, go to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. 
All right, let's transition to the Twitter questions. And what we've done here is we've grouped the questions by prospect. And it it was overwhelmingly, there was five questions with Okoro, one for Green and one for Bain. And then there was one question that kind of pertained to all three of them. So we're just going to kind of go in that order uh, and have those conversations with your questions. So the first question came to us from British underscore Buzz on Twitter. And this is about Okoro. What makes Okoro stand out from any other six foot six athlete that can defend but can't shoot uh so i i'll lead this one off question number one here about okoro i think this is a valid question i think people are worried that because he's just an athlete that can't shoot and just as a defender you kind of worry about him on the offensive side so i'll, I'll try to make a case for okoro as being something just other than that i think when you watch him play, he's a high IQ guy on both ends of the ball. He knows team concepts on defense. He knows when to rotate. And then on the offensive side of the ball, he's not going to shoot you out of the game, meaning he knows his limitations on the offensive side of the ball, and he's not going to you know, jack up three after three after three, knowing that's not part of his game yet. He will attack the rim. He will and can pass the ball a bit too. So I, I think knowing that that he has some high iq with him and he can handle the ball a little bit i think what you got to bank on with okoro is for him to develop that catch and shoot three he may not ever develop that pull up three but if you can get him off ball situations catch and shoot and then if teams start to run him off the line uh, in that situation he already has that ability to score with contact at the rim he shot the ball very very well within like four feet uh, of the hoop at auburn so that's the case that i guess you can make he's a high iq type of guy on both ends of the court and yes he can't shoot right now and, and if you look at his free throw percentage it's probably not the best indicator uh, because he's shooting like in the 60s i believe but I think you can maybe hope that he can develop into a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter and just hope everything else is added. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that That kind of notion that this guy is just a defender? Uh, I, I definitely don't think he's just a defender. I think the shot is definitely a concern. Um, you know, I, I've, I've heard and seen some of the MKG um, comparisons kind of floated out there. I don't think that's totally fair. I, I think, of course, a better athlete than Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Michael Kidd Gilchrist was overrated as an athlete coming out of college. I think we can look back and say that's probably true now. Um, you, you, you know, yes, you, you worry about him as a catch and shoot player. Uh, he wasn't a good catch and shoot player at Auburn. I mean, 0.63 points possession on catch and shoot. I mean, that's that's awful. It's really, really bad. But you look at the rest of his offensive profile. He's a good spot-up player. He's a great transition player. As a pick-and-roll pick and roll ball handler, he actually had more opportunities and possessions than you would have guessed at Auburn, and he operated pretty good, 0.73 points per possession out of those plays. And then you go post-up, isolation, the, the impact he makes on the offensive glass, what he can do as a cutter and his IQ there. I mean, those four things I just listed, that's where his offensive IQ really comes into play. Um, so if the shot comes online, I would say he's got a chance to be potentially an all-star in the NBA because of the de defensive impact that he makes. Um, but really, if you look at his offensive profile and you watch him play, and, and you, there's some feel there. There's some IQ there. It's just the shot is – you know, you can't bank on it. You can't bet on that translating. But the rest of his game, he was very impactful across the board. I do understand that, though, when you watch him play, you say, 
it doesn't look like he has a great feel for the game. Like he has the MKG thing where when he puts the ball on the floor, he just doesn't, he doesn't operate with great footwork. He just kind of throws his body into defenders because he's a big guy and that gets him to the line a lot. But his impact on the offensive end specifically is undeniable. I, I like Okoro a, a good bit, even after he sort of lost some steam. You know, he had early in the season, there was, you know, top five draft pick chatter around him. But I think one thing that I would start by parsing this is I would say he's not just like a pretty good defensive wing. This guy is like arguably the best, you know, defensive wing in the draft. I think we can say that. And, and look, I, I love Devin Vassell too, but Okoro's as good, if not better than, you know, any just wing versatile defender. He can guard probably three or four positions, big, strong, tough, just an excellent help defender, an excellent on ball defender too. So it's just, it's not like, Oh, he's just like a little bit of a plus on the defensive end. Like he has the ability to be an elite defender uh, in the NBA. And then as far as the offensive concerns go too, like that's what stinks is the, his one red flag or the most obvious of his red flags is in just like this one skill that is just so undeniably important to basketball is the, the ability to shoot offensively. This is why we have to have all these idiotic debates about Ben Simmons just constantly is just strictly because he's so restricted in this one, one specific skill of, of shooting the basketball. But he does offer some shot creation. Uh, as Richie said, or as Richie and Spencer said, he shot a really good percentage at the rim, 68% at the rim this season, and 65% of his makes at the rim unassisted too. So, again, you have that shot creation ability, 13% assist rate. He can run a pick and roll. He can run both sides of a pick and roll. Like This is a guy that I think can rim run, can pop, can slip, can short roll, and then he's a wing that can pass. We love wings that can pass, right? Like That's, mm-hmm. that's one of our favorite player types here, and you can use those skills – but you, you use them on a short roll, you use them on a slip into space, you use them into a DHO where he gets to sort of like simultaneously be the ball handler and the guy that's immediately going to slip out of that into a, a roll or into another, uh, you know, a flare to the corner or whatever. And then all of a sudden you created some advantage. You've got, uh, you know, a possession going on that, that, could produce points. So I, I like all of that about Okoro. And then if the shot ever comes online, like, Spencer said, like, then you've really got something because he's not without talents offensively. He, he does stuff well. Um, and he's going to be a good NBA defender. So yeah, it's, I, I, I think there's stuff to buy into with this guy's the defense is really, really good. And just because he can't shoot doesn't mean he's useless on the offensive end. Like he has some serious skills. It just may take a, a certain kind of roster and system to fit him in. If the shot never comes online. Yeah. Next question comes exactly from the same person, British underscore buzz. Who would you rank as a better prospect, Culver from last year or Okoro? I think I would have to go with Jarrett Culver for me as a higher prospect in my eyes. I think his ability to score and handle the ball as a playmaker gives him the nod in my books. And we just talked about how great Okoro is defensively, and he probably is better than Culver, but I don't think... Culver was necessarily a bad defensive player coming out of Texas Tech. So, uh, you know, this good my defender. answer is qu- what now? He's yeah. good defender. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. So, I, I, yeah, I will say Culver in this in this situation. Yeah, I would agree with you, Richie. I mean, Col- Culver's ability to create offense and and frankly lead an offense. I mean, he was 
he made Texas Tech go in a lot of ways, and they got all the way to the national championship. And I mean, you heard it here first. I mean, I, I understand this firsthand. They should have beat Virginia in that national championship game. So Jared Culver should be a national champion. But uh, look, I think Okoro has just as good, if not better, of a chance to be successful in the next level because I think Jared Culver has underwhelmed defensively. I don't think Okoro will come into the NBA an underwhelmed defensively. I think he's going to be, I think there's a little bit of a positional confusion with Jared Culver and what he defends in the NBA. I don't think that'll exist for Okoro. Um, I think he's going to, he's a one to three defender. He could probably slide up to four. You know, I, I'm confident he probably could in, in a lot of situations, but he's one to three. That's where you start him. I think he's going to be successful there. And you've just got to focus on the offense. I think for Jared Culver, the learning curve is just so steep because the expectation for that guy is that he's going to lead. He's going to create offense. He's going to play some, you know, point guard. I mean, I think Minnesota might be thinking he, he still is potentially their point guard of the future. Okoro doesn't have to worry about those lofty expectations, which I think is going to make him more successful out of the gate. Yeah. For me, this one's pretty simple. Like for you guys, it's Culver. I mean, I liked Jared Culver a lot. I thought he was like a, a top five prospect, top six prospect in the draft last season. And, and that draft, that was a draft that had Zion right. and was way better. And Morant was just way better. Um, and Brandon Clark, who fell to the twenties as well too. Um, and I still think Jared Culver is going to be a good pro. Um, and he really started to play better. You know, he just turned 21 last 13 games for Minnesota Culver, 42% shooting on three, 60% at the rim, 40% from the floater zone. But yeah, I just thought like Culver's shot creation was really good. He shot a great number at the rim last season, 67% for Texas Tech. 75% of those makes were unassisted, which is a huge number. His mid-range makes didn't shoot a great number, but close to 80% of his mid-range twos unassisted too. And even though he struggled from three, uh, as a sophomore, he was so good his freshman year. If you look at it, mean, he was like over 34% shooting on threes with over 300 attempts in his career. Plus, not great free throw shooting, but not like, oh, why is this guy shooting, you know, 61%, you know, he's shot like right at 70%. So I buy, buy Culver's shot. And I think eventually he's going to turn into a pretty good, like, offensive pro. Um, so, yeah, and he had good stocks numbers, too. He's just a great, he's just a phenomenal player, prospect last season at Texas Tech. So, yeah, Culver uh, over Okoro uh, in the vacuum of, of prospect land. Right. Yeah, you, you almost wonder where Culver would go in this draft, and clearly higher than Okora. What would you maybe, say, top three? I mean, he would be more. in the number one conversation. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Like, he, like he'd be, you know, he'd be, he, I agree. The Hayes, the, the Killian Hayes, the LaMelo Ball, the Anthony Edwards, you know, Culver's in their yeah. category as a prospect, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, third question on Okoro, and Brian, I'll let you lead this one off. Would you draft Okoro at eight? And this is from, I'm going to butcher the name, Boris I. Filippo 4 on Twitter. Cool, yeah. Um, so it sort of depends on what the what the board looks like, right? I mean, that's how all these things get couched. Right. That's what makes the draft such a weird proposition every year for Charlotte because they're usually drafting from this range and there's just so much variance as to how, how things can play out. Well, here's the um, question, Brian, can you name eight players that you would draft over a Coro? So that all, let me, this is how I'll answer the question. I'll say, okay. yes, I, I would draft Isaac Okoro at eight. Do I think he's the eighth best prospect in the draft? No, I do not, but he offers real value and upside defensively. And as we just went into, uh, Deep, uh, into a fair amount of detail a couple minutes ago, like offensively there's stuff to work with. If the shot ever comes online, 
then again, you, you really have something as a, as a player. Um, he's just a little lost without that jump shot right at the moment. But um, man, like I'd rather have Devin Vassell. I'd rather have uh, Kyra Lewis. I'd rather, I think I'd rather have Halliburton, Cole Anthony. So, you know, I probably will put a close to eight if I were to list out all my prospects, but he might be closer to, 10 or 11, you know, but he's close enough there. And he's, he is a, a really interesting two way player and a hell of a defender. So yeah, if, if, if I had the eighth pick, I wouldn't, I, you'd have to consider this guy and I would absolutely not be opposed to him going eighth overall in the draft. I would definitely select him at eight. I, I think Okoro will be in my top eight uh, prospects in this draft. You know, I, I think he checks enough boxes, as I mentioned earlier on offense and then defense the guy hits every spot. He really does. He understands health defense. He's an absolute monster guarding the basketball. He just swallows up ball handlers. Um, he's a good rebounder. I mean, I, I think he's just going to make such an immediate impact on the defensive end. Um, not that much of his game has to excel, I guess, offensively for him to be a, a pretty significant net positive um, and he, and again, he plays a position to where it'll be totally fine for him to, you know, play off the ball and not have to have it in his hands that much and have this responsibility of creating offense. I mean, he's going to be able to make enough of an impact on the game. So, yeah, I, I think Isaac Okor, if he's there at eight, and I, and I understand Miles Bridges. I mean, they're similar athletes, and you know, you drafted PJ Washington last year, and you're not sure, you know, exactly where he fits in the lineup. So you got these wings and. You, I don't think you can, and we've talked about this plenty before. I don't think you can have enough of those guys collect those athletic wings um, that fits Borrego's style even more, anyways, right? He wants to play more small ball, not exclusive small ball, but he wants the positional versatility to be able to roll up those lineups more and more and create leverage on the league. So I think Isaac Okoro could really be a fantastic fit for Shaw, and I would urge them to take him if he's there at eight. And they just need a defensive wing so badly too, right? I mean, Cody Martin's great and all, but like right. we've how many times going back years now we talked about this on the pod, just like the inability for them to actually have like an A one wing stopper, and so they yeah. you know they would try to force MKG, and then they moved him around positionally two seasons ago, and you know Cody Martin offers you some of that, but he can't shoot either, and he's six years older than Isaac well, Coro, you know, yeah, like, yeah, uh, and so. And I'll say this, like, I don't, Isaac Okor's jump shot is mechanical and it's, and it's a little hitchy and it's just not very fluid. It is not Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Okay. Like he has a little bit of an L of a, you know, uh, a bowed right elbow. You tuck that thing in a little bit. Yeah. It's Isaac Okor has a bowed left elbow, you know, elbow, excuse me, right elbow going out. I mean, it's not – you just can't compare those two. So, Okoro's not that far away to me from being just an average NBA shooter. And yeah. he's not going to have to have the ball in his hands a lot outside of being a cutter or slasher. So, he'll get a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities. I think he's going to be okay um, shooter in the NBA. I, I just really like this kid as a prospect. Yeah, so to, to answer the question for me, and I guess Brian put it perfectly. It's like, yes, I would draft him at eight because that's kind of the range that he should be drafted in. But all things considered, I'd probably lean towards no, just because I'm more comfortable. I can probably name eight players right now that I'd be more comfortable drafting than him. But he, he's right in that range, like the nine to 10 to 11 range. For example, I, I would draft, you know, Edwards, Ball, Hayes, Double O, Halliburton, 
think I'd even draft Wiseman over him, Vassell and Kyra Lewis there. He's kind mm -hmm. of right in that Cole Anthony group right yeah. there in that next group. So I, I would say no, but he's definitely in the range. Let's go on to the next question. And, and um, Spencer, I will let you lead this off because you have actually brought him up a couple of times in this podcast already. Would Charlotte and its PTSD about Michael Kidd Gilchrist <laughs> possibly prevent them from drafting perhaps a similar prospect like Okoro? And that is from at Ethan Smith Murr one on Twitter. So thank you for the question, Ethan Smith. Well, yeah, Ethan, I think it's a, I think it's a good question because it's certainly possible. Um, you know, and Charlotte wouldn't be the only franchise to get cold feet about something like this. There's a human factor to all this too, as much of uh, data and analytics that are available. Um, you know, Michael Jordan might just be like, hey, we're not drafting another really strong, good defensive wing who's got some athletic chops that can't shoot and turn him into a project. I'm not going down that road again. Totally possible. But again, I think you just heard me say, I hope that that wouldn't uh, deter them uh, from drafting Isaac Okoro if he was there. I think he could be a really good fit in Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I do think it will play maybe a small factor uh, when thinking about this guy, because I think the comparisons are going to come up one way or the other. Uh, and also, when you look at this team, I, you know, we just mentioned this, that we need perimeter defenders. And we talk about how badly they, they need it. And there's a lot of penetration when Hornets play opposing teams. But also, you could also make the case that Hornets need shooters. And that's currently not what he is at this point. So I do think it'll be a factor. And I do think it's a fair question that the Hornets could potentially be wary of drafting him just because of MKG. If they had, I'll say this, just like hypothetically, like small ball lineups next season, if they drafted a Coro with Bridges, PJ Washington, and Isaac Okoro, I don't know how effective it would be, but it would produce some some pretty cool stuff uh, uh, on both ends of the court, even if they did um, hemorrhage points, uh, you know, or maybe Okoro's defense would just solve all of it. But like, him short rolling, slipping, dive into the hoop, driving and slashing while while PJ either you know spaces out or cuts would be uh, interesting to see. And vice versa. The other thing I would add to this is like I hope not, but I understand the concern. I guess would be sort of like my mm -hmm. uh, way of framing it. It's important to note, as you guys well know, like the front office has changed over. The coaching staff has too. Spencer, like he brought up, the owner is the same, but for the most part, there's been a lot of turnover uh, and other key spots of the decision-making tree for the Hornets. So that's something to consider too. It's also like MKG, despite the limitations. And again, this is what we we've talked about with a Coro. We, I brought this up with, it's like a discussion point with Ben Simmons all the time too, but it's like, despite the limitations that MKG had, he's still like a good player, right? He's still like at times has been like a productive player, um, even, even though he had this, the sort of the, the, the glaring lack of the shot. And certainly I think injuries took a toll and he, I think he just never became, he was never the athlete again that he was when he first came into the league, you know, hell it's, it's look, this is why it's why Charlotte couldn't find like a suitor to trade for him at the deadline. It's why like, he's not like a, a rotation piece and, and like a good three and D player that the Hornets lean on and think they have signed to a great contract. But it's like the other side of MKG's value is that when Dallas signed him for nothing, everyone was patting them on the backs and saying, wow, that's a great addition. This is exactly what, what Dallas needs. They need Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Gil you know, like he's still a, a useful yeah. NBA player. And you can, like, that might be a whole other separate conversation. Like there's just going to be some front offices that are going to get 
praised for making personnel decisions to others that are going to get side-eyed or whatever. But, and this is the last thing I'll say uh, about this specifically, I just think there's a huge difference. And this is just pointing out the obvious, but like there's a huge difference between entering the NBA in 2020 than entering in 2012. Um, I think the league, the league has just changed so much, like three times over since then. And look, it's one of the reasons why MKG is like a less useful wing player, but it's also one of the reasons why he's going to sign another contract this offseason, you know, because like the league yeah. is sort of evolving how it, how it evaluates wings, but then how it certain guys can side can slide from the wing to being a small ball four. And if you have all this other shooting around the court, well, there's still room inside for one of these guys. And it can be a guy like um, MKG. And you just need versatile defenders, switchy guys, uh, you know, team defenders, which, which MKG is, but then this is where I'll, the difference that I'll really point to specific to Okoro is like, there's just this added and the, the catch and shoot spot up aspect of the league. Now, if you're a wing, it's like, if you can't make the mid thirties on your catch and shoot threes, like you're just not playing in the NBA, man. Like as a wing, you know, unless you can play the small ball four or small ball five, like MKG, like if you don't offer that you're toast as a wing, if you can't shoot too. So I, my, I guess I'm sort of hoping if it's such a big swing skill um, and, and the proposition is in the league or in the G League or in Europe or whatever, is that you're going to find a way. You're like water finds its level and you're going to become a guy that can make, you know, the mid thirties of your, of your spot up threes. It's a skill that you can add. Um, so that, that would be my thought. It's just like it, the league has changed in such a way. It has to be, it has to be shaping player development in a way uh, that could help potentially be beneficial for a guy like Isaac Okoro now. Yeah. So I just wanted on the MKG point real quick too. It's just like, he got stuck with that. He just got stuck with that number two pick in the NBA draft stigma that just yeah. like never leaves you. So yeah. I mean, his conjecture, I don't know that Charlotte was demanding too much in trade when they floated his name out there in trades, but they were very clearly trying to move him on numerous occasions and weren't able to. So you have to wonder, like they wanted Charlotte, you know, as to be expected, wanted return on their number two NBA draft pick from 2012 <laughs> and could never yeah. find it. And that's yeah. what skews guys like that. Right. That, that end up surviving in the league on some level of life support uh, as a high draft pick, but never, never hit home and always have, again, have this stigma as being a bust or a bad player. I agree with you, Brian. He has been productive, and his numbers in the first three to four seasons of, of the league when he was healthy were phenomenal, and Charles was always better with him on the floor. But yeah, if you can't score at that position, you specifically shoot, you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. All right, the last question as it pertains to Okoro comes from our main man at Patrick Connor 7 uh, Who would you rather have – Longtime starter at the small forward. I guess it's just a long time starting position here, either Okoro or Miles Bridges. And I, I'm going to keep this short uh, just so that we can get on to the next prospects. But I think Bridges for me, I, I'm banking on his one, his three point shot to kind of start falling a little bit more consistently. And that once when that clicks and you, and you pair that with his athleticism, I kind of like that combo a little bit better than what maybe Okoro can bring. Um, I, obviously, Okoro on the defensive side of the ball is light years ahead of, of Bridges, but I just like 
what Bridges brings on the offensive side or could bring if that three-point shot falls. So I, I just I lean Bridges a little bit more. It, it's a tough one because yeah. you're, you're like you're going on something that you know, like it's is a certainty, and you feel like you you kind of yeah. can project forward pretty easily versus something you don't know at all how it's going to play out. Um, yeah. Ah, man, this one will probably come back to bite me, but I think I might rather have Okoro. Um, I don't, I don't trust my, I mean, this is not news to anyone that listens to this podcast, but I don't trust Miles Bridges, his approach defensively. I don't, I don't, I don't trust that he's going to really get it on that end. And not only that, but you know, the guy doesn't bring enough to the table on the offensive end. Although I thought last year he made a big step forward to, to be fair. I don't think he brings enough there to make up for what he lacks in the defensive end. I just, and this is just probably the coach speaking to me too. I like Isaac Okora's approach to the game a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think Mm -hmm. that's going to win out. Um, But so that's why I really, what I say, what I do and probably why I'll eat my words here in about two years. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually think this is like a, a fascinating toss up to be honest with you and uh, i could wrestle with this all day i sort of chewed on it for for in and out throughout the day today but um i, I think it's an interesting uh question tough question i really do Miles you're the deciding factor here brian you're deciding factor so go ahead so yeah um miles has turned 22 uh both guys have some some similarities like you know big strong wings sort of jack of all trades offensively obviously miles as is a is light years ahead as a shooter even if he still has a ways to go uh to become like a really reliable nba three-point shooter um but okoro is a much better defensive player already he's three years younger um i don't feel great about it because i like miles and i think there's a chance for him to become a like a, a winning nba player which right now he um he's not at the moment and not just like an empty stats on a on a mediocre to bad team but the unknown aspect of Okora would probably – I'd probably lean in on on that and his defense and say, I'm betting on that guy figuring out a shot. Then I'm more so my betting on the guy that's three years older, um, you know, figuring out how to, how to consistently lock in defensively and become a better team defender. I don't feel great about that because I like Miles Bridges a lot. I think he's an interesting young player, but yeah, I think I, I think in this heads up, I think I'd, I'd go um, Okoro. All righty. Well, 67% of the podcast got that answer incorrect. So we're going to move on to the next. <laughs> that, that's almost <laughs> we're, some we're, pushback for me and you, Brian, I, I think. I think that's going to be That's all right. That's no. all right. Well, I, I do like the thought of like the unknown, and I, I think it's yeah, right, not right. not easier to take that route. But because he has not played a single game in the NBA, it, it's it's I think it's it might be easier to make that case that he is a higher or a better prospect long term starting wise. But it's, uh, it's a hard look. This is a hard, it's hard. It's a hard question. It really is because yeah, it is. Miles is good. He should probably get better. Still, he's a freak athlete. Like there's a lot to like about about Miles Bridges. Um, so again, I, mean, I, I wrestled with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for Okor. I mean, maybe the MKG comparison is fair because I'm a sucker for him. I've realized just in the way I was a sucker for MKG in 2012, and and kind of like Brian said earlier, kind of remained to be because I know how hard the guy plays, and it's just it's it's hard not to respect that. And it's hard not to like, okay, where do I buy stock in this? You know, that this is going to win, right? Effort and. Yeah. So, anyways, and that's what Okora brings. So, if anything offensively comes online, he's, he's going to be okay. 
All right, let's move on. All right, let's switch it on to Josh Green, the prospect that Brian presented. Uh, the one question that we have is also from British underscore Buzz. If Green didn't go to Arizona or have the background internationally, do you think he's even a top tier or prospect uh, that we talk about? So, yeah, I'll go and just jump in. I think so, yeah. I'm actually, like, I sort of brought this up earlier in the pod. I'm a little surprised that Josh Green is so um, – polarizing of a, of a, of a prospect just because I see the frustrations with him. I get it. I, I see the limitations offensively, but you know, this player type is still useful. Like a, a three and D wing with some, with some burner, some burners and transition. Like, I think that's still a useful piece. I wouldn't want to draft Josh green in the top 10, but what I Josh, what I draft Josh green, in the top 20, top 25. Yeah, totally. Like I, you know, and I'm not even sure Arizona, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even sure Arizona was the best place for him to go this season. I, I mean, Sean Miller's a great recruiter. I think Arizona runs some decent half-court sets or whatever, but, like, the, they're not, like, light years ahead, you know what I mean, in terms of how Arizona wants to play. They play with two bigs on the court all the time this year with Chase Jeter and um, and Zeke Naji. So there wasn't even a, a ton of room. You got Nico Mannion that was dominating the ball um, offensively, too. Honestly, like Josh Green should have gone to like Alabama and Chuck threes with Nate Oates or gone to Villanova and played in all of their fun half court spacing. Like that's what he should have done. You know what I mean? If anything, I could see how Arizona may not have helped his, his stock to be totally honest with you. So yeah, like I said, wouldn't draft, wouldn't draft him top 10, but I like him top 20. I just take him for what he is. He's a, he's a solid three and D prospect which, and he's young, and, and in this draft, that's that's going to be enough, I think, for you to hang your hat on as a prospect. So, yes, I think he would absolutely would be um, without the the fanfare of playing at a quasi-blue blood in the Pac-12 or without his international background from, uh, from Australia. I, I think he's like, again, I see where some of the inconsist- inconsistencies come. I don't think his feels as bad as some people question it. Um, in fact, I think he has moments where it really, it really pops and a uh, good athlete, um, you know, needs to get better finishing through contact, but had good numbers at the rim, good number of dunks, good in transition, has some, had some grab and go potential this season too. So yeah, I, uh, I like Josh green and, um, it, even though I can see some of the, the concerns and, and what people might want to read into with, uh, some of the hype he had coming around. And the last thing, uh, sorry to keep, keep droning on here, but I almost wish Josh Green could have come in as like a top 50 or top 60 prospect. And then if he had had the season that he had, then the perception changes. And all of a sudden we're like, wow, man, Arizona found this four-star guy. He's pretty athletic, like shoots. He made 36% shooting on his threes. 60% catch and shoot, uh, steal rate close to 3%. Like, man, under the radar. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah. you look at this, you know, and so, like, if anything, I think the perception of him coming in as a top 10 recruit, uh, the, the international billing, like, I think maybe that even worked against him, honestly. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. You can look at that, that coin from either side, and I get it. So I think, Brian, when I watch Josh Green, I think the biggest concern is you watch him and you're like, okay, well, what's he good at? Like, he's one of those players. And, yeah. and, I, and I totally get the concern there. Those, are, they, those really truly are the type of guys that can fizzle out in the NBA. But I'm with you. 
Um, I actually think he checks enough of the boxes, impacts enough parts of the game um, to where he could be a serviceable you know, NBA wing. And his, ju- and his shooting form is, as this is going to be the, the swing skill of the night, um, is, is not bad. It's just inconsistent. Yeah. He, he, he throws out his right leg a lot. He lands in different spots. Um, he'll shoot it on the way down. He's, you know, really shows hardly any ability to shoot it off the bounce. If he's got a guy running at him, he sucks at shooting. If he's shooting it wide open, it looks a lot different. And so, and that's something that like he, that's something obvious with him in on the film and in the numbers, like unguarded versus guarded jump shots, where it's like, you, you, you see a slight difference with a lot of guys with him. It's like, Holy moly. Like, why does he get so like, what rattles him when somebody's running at him so much? So, so I, I think that's fixable. I think defensively he understands the game. He's a good on ball defender. He's a good rebounder. He's a really good transition player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he can cut. I mean, he's got a lot of the kind of same stuff as Okoro has. Um, yeah. So I, I think he's got a chance. Like, I don't understand what's the difference between Josh Green and Romeo Langford or Sekou Deboya. You know, like two guys that were drafted. One of them was drafted in the lottery last year. The next one was drafted 15. Like, What's the difference in those prospects? To me, not much. So for so I'm with you from the sense of like where people are like, this guy shouldn't even be drafted or should be drafted like late in the second round. Like, I don't understand that. This isn't that deep of a draft. And yeah. we see a lot of these type of guys this year, I think, where they're like, they're going to be impactful in the league, but they're not going to make an all-star team. And yeah. they might be a rotational player their entire career, but they're going to be around a while um, the way we're projecting them. And, and they're going to make an impact. So, and I think that's fine mid first yeah. round this year, which is where Josh Green is going in most mock drafts. Yeah, I, I think maybe the weak draft is probably boosting his stock more than more than anything. Not not the fact that he went to Arizona or he has some kind of international background. And you mentioned Okoro. I see a lot of Okoro in him. Obviously, he's not that great of a defender, but he's solid on that, and he can switch across multiple positions. He's good at jumping those passing lanes. He's he a good and, defender. I, I like Josh yeah. Green's defense a lot. Sorry to interrupt, Richie, but I no, you're I, good. I, you're I, good. I buy his defense. I buy his versatility. I think he can be a very good on ball and team defender in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, like like I was saying, just not to the extent of Okoro, but I mean, he he's solid. He's definitely solid. He's also good in transition, like Okoro. He just isn't as great at the rim. Uh, but what what's something that he does have that Okoro does not is the the catch and shoot ability so uh, the, the one thing that I'm down on with Josh Green is just his creation his offensive creation I don't think you know he can really find a way to score or find uh, ways to get other people to score when he's dribbling so I think most of his offense is going to come in transition or most of his offense is going to come through the catch and shoot variety so any other last thoughts on Josh what, Green here oh yeah one more as a player who shot 36 percent uh last season which isn't great isn't terrible um you say okay the shot will come online like but one thing that arizona tried to do with him last year a little bit not a ton but it accounted for the third of the third most of his offense is like running off screens the guy showed like almost no ability to shoot off screens and i think that does uh severely impact his offensive repertoire because when you talk about like and and i threw out this morning on twitter i was like you know what he actually reminds me a good bit of like if everything starts hitting for him of like danny green like the shooting strokes very similar the athleticism is very similar the build similar he's not a good ball handler he has bad footwork like 
Like this is like yeah. Danny Green all over again, but Danny Green learned to be a shooter off the move, you know, on the move and yeah. catch and shoot. And right now I would say it's it's a it's a far-fetched, probably unrealistic idea that Josh Green is going to be an off-screen shooter. Yeah, well, it's one of those things. It's like I, I just think in gen, I agree with everything you said, but it's also like there aren't a lot of 19-year-olds that just come into college and are like – shooting off screens like that is an art form and it requires so much bleep and work. And it's not even, you know, you're dependent on so many other things. The guy's screening for you, the guy's passing, you know, who's covering you. There's just a lot of variables at play outside of like, can you shoot out of the pick and roll or can you score in isolation or, or whatever? You're right. He, he showed very little movement shooting this season outside of some relocation stuff, you know, throw it into uh, Zeke Naji in the post, move around, move, slide left, slide right. And he, he hit a couple big threes like that against Gonzaga. But yeah, you're, it's like Danny Green, obviously by the time he left Chapel Hill, he was an elite college shooter. But hell, Danny Green even needed, he needed coaching with Lavelle Moten, who's the head coach at NC Central. He needed workouts with that guy to become yep. a, become like a, a sustainable we'll NBA yeah. shooter. It took him a while. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Josh Green, he's 19. It's one of those guys. It's like if he, if we had, you know, this is, this is one of the things we've talked about so much in the, in the age of one and done, where you only get one season with these guys, as opposed to the guy that we're about to talk about next in Desmond Bain. But you're like, we saw Josh Green play 30 games this year. It could yeah. have been 120. It could have been 60. It could have been 90. We got 30. That's all we got, plus whatever from prep and international and stuff, too. But, like, yeah, totally like agree, that's, that's, that's the risk, you know? To totally agree. Totally agree. And one quick point on that, too, is that he was a highly talented recruit. The guy played a lot in transition in high school. You can tell, tell just by the way he plays. He's a barrel athlete. He's a good he's a good looking athlete who's a, who's a solid frame who played with the ball in his hands a lot in the open floor on a very low level of basketball for what he can do in high school and he hasn't played running off screen running off screens for one possession in his life until yeah. Arizona so you're you're absolutely right my point was just I'm not sure like it's like learning a new sport it's like learning to ride a bike you've never you, you've never ridden. So now you're you're gonna have to go to the NBA and do that against those kind of athletes. So <laughs> I'm not bullish learn. on him yeah. figuring that out. But you make a good point. He's 19 years old. So who says he can't? All right, let's go to the question. Uh, and Spencer, I'll let you lead this one off for Desmond Bain. If you were to make a case against him, what would be the legit criticisms and concerns for why Bain may not succeed in the NBA? Oh, yeah, it's a good one. I like Desmond Bain a little too much, I think. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think that probably that he's not a, you know, he's not a, an incre- he's not an above average athlete, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, not phenomenal uh, finishing at the rim. It's hard for me to answer, honestly, because I, I just think that this this is one of those guys that you look at his profile and you watch the film and you're like, he just has such a great feel for the game. Not an incredible offensive creator, but he doesn't turn it over. He doesn't make the wrong play. He keeps the play moving. He moves off the basketball. He's incredible coming off screens, reading the game in that way that we were just talking about. You know, Can Josh Green figure that out? Um, he can play out of the pick and roll and be a bomber from deep, you know, um, off screens. If you don't step up and if you do, he can make a good enough read as the pick and roll ball handler to set his teammates up. 
you know, defensively, I think he's going to be able to certainly guard two positions at a high level, um, maybe three, unlikely, but but possibly. But to me, man, this guy, like, they don't make him in this draft a whole lot better as a, as a, as a combo guard in terms of how many ways he can impact the offensive game. Awesome spot-up player, uh, way above average pick-and-roll ball, ball handler. I would say that his off-screen numbers don't look phenomenal, but you watch him on film and you're like, no, nah, he gets it. He's going to be able to play uh, coming off screens on the baseline, on pin downs, taking one or two dribbles, setting up his teammate or getting into a shot. Um, got a floater game. In transition, he's great. He's a really, really good straight line athlete. Not as good side to side, but really good straight line. Uh, and then isolation-wise, it's just his pull up. It's, it's kind of like yeah. the Devontae Graham revelation this past season. It's like nobody saw that coming. But his pull-up jump shooting, like when he figured it out, there were very few guys in the NBA that were ready to deal with that. Like he he scored on the pull-up jump shot, taking guys you know from almost half court and just walking them down. He could almost score over anybody if he had it going. And Desmond Bain is the exact kind of way. And and again, I already talked about what he can do off the ball, you know, on cuts and and, and reading screens. So I, to me, Desmond Bain has like a little bit of uh, Jamal Crawford's not a is not a great comparison, but I think that later in his career, he can be a guy who could just be like a volume fill it up uh, offensive burst off the bench, similar to Jamal Crawford. But it, I mean, you can't really compare anybody to Jamal Crawford. That guy just is incredible yeah. to feel for the game. But but Bain, I don't know, man. Like he's a first round talent to me. Yeah, I mean, let me say my piece real quick, Brian. And, and it's a tough question to answer because you're trying to make a case against this guy. And I, I like you, Spencer, really do like this guy. Like he has great range on his three-point shot, even though it's a little bit of an odd-looking form. Uh, but he can do it in a variety of ways, whether it's stationary, uh, movement, unlike Green, as we were talking about, who's strictly a stationary shooter. Uh, this guy is smart basketball IQ. He knows when to pass. He knows when to cut. He knows when to fill the lanes. Uh, he plays with a high motor, uh, and he's a really good shooter off the bounce, like you said. So if you ever have to get into those isolation you know, situations, he can do that. But if to answer the question, if I were to make a case against this guy, maybe the first thing that you can point to, uh, you know, I know it's not always the, the right way to look at it, but 21 years old, he's a little bit older. Uh, he's yeah. an average athlete with average burst. Uh, I do, I will say that his handle is a little bit average. So if you take that into account when you move on to the NBA level, maybe that diminishes his ability to shoot off the ball or you know off the bounce a little bit on the NBA level. With that, maybe he just becomes a low-level rotation player that's only a factor in the catch-and-shoot game. But I don't think that's going to be the case, but that, that would be the case against him. I uh, yeah I agree. like Richie I I agree with with basically everything you just said it's the it's the tired played out uh, age criticism oh is this guy a finished product and and so he's he's going to be an okay team defender but if he can't create his own shot he's a you know the, an okay not great athlete and all of a sudden it's just like how good of a shooter does it become and if he's not an incredible shooter which like during his college career, Desmond Bain's been an incredible shooter. He projects as a great shooter in the NBA, but um, that he just maxes out as like, uh, you know, it's like a, like a, like you said, a, a low level rotation player. He becomes Randy Foy or something like that. <laughs> or does, you know, does he become this year's Terrence Davis, you know, um, that guy that just gets overlooked, even though he's just a great college player and a good shooter. But um, 
couple things I'll mention too. I, I tabulated this out last week. Desmond Bain, during his 40-year career at TCU, uh, on spot-up, no-dribble jumpers, 324 attempts, 1.32 points per possession, 66% effective shooting. Those are just monster numbers. And then his senior year in 1920, this is when he really came online as, a, as like a, a pull-up shooter, a guy that could go get his own bucket. It had really been just like a a down screen catch and shoot guy his first three years. But this season, 53% effective shooting off the dribble on 110 pull-up attempts uh, for his career, 45% shooting off the dribble. So you can see he made a, he made a, a big jump this year. Um, yeah. I think he is just like uh, a copy and paste guy. You put this dude on any roster. He's six, six. He's a great shooter. Uh, he can move it offensively. Like he's a pretty good passer, good vision, and he's going to be a perfectly fine team defender in the NBA. He's just going to do nothing but add stuff to the table. I think most likely he's a guy that does nothing but really add stuff to the table while taking really nothing away. So, yeah, I'm, I think Desmond Bain is a is going to be a good NBA player. And I think he, for the Hornets' perspective, is one of the, the dream guys at early in the second round. If, yeah. if Bain or Grant Ryler... Um, if one of those guys were to fall to early in the second, like you get that pick in instantly, you snap those guys up and you feel really good about the guy you just got in on their second round pick and you're about to sign to a really team friendly contract. The last thing I want to say about his shooting too, which is clearly his, his number one skill is his range. I mean, this guy can shoot from, um, from uh, Devontae the, Graham range. Yeah, from yeah. Curry. I mean, seriously, it, it, the, the jump shot is unorthodox to be certain, but that's what um, – that, that it's exactly what uh, makes up for his lack of athleticism to go by his guy. People, you know, in the NBA, it's going to be very quickly evident, I think, that you got to pick him up not long after he crosses half court, especially when the ball's in his hands. And that's going to allow him to get in the paint because in the NBA he can't touch guys. So he's going to be able to get to where he wants to get because of his range if that translates, that shooting stroke, which I think it will. But go just watch some of his highlights and see where he's shooting balls from. It's unorthodox, but he shoots a s- super easy ball. It looks like he's throwing a tennis ball at the rim. All right, we got one more question, and this pertains to all three of the prospects that we mentioned today, so it's a good way to wrap up this episode. Which of these prospects is most likely to become a strong two-way player? And this is from actually an ex-guest of the show at Stat Center, and he kind of suggests, let's say, 15 points a game at some point in his career, and he plays strong slash above-average team defense. So... It's funny, you probably aren't going to expect my answer for this one. I'm actually going to go with Coro, even though it feels like I was kind of down on him in this podcast. Right. One, he's already ahead of Bain and Green on the defensive side of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the hope is he develops that low to mid, you know, low to mid 30s three point shooter. Yeah. You add that ability to score at the rim and the ability to draw fouls. And I can see where maybe three to four years down the road, he's averaging 15 points a game. I almost feel like he could kind of turn into like that Andre Iguodala type where he can handle the ball a little bit. He knows when to make the pass, when to cut, and uh, when to drive the ball. But I guess my answer to this is is really just banking on the fact that he gets to the low 30s, mid-30s from behind the arc. So I don't think people expected me to answer it this way, but I'm going to go with Coro. And also, too, of the three players, he's probably going to be drafted the highest 
not that teams don't focus their energy and efforts on second round picks, but I think if you're, you know, a top 10 pick, I, I think a lot of the effort in the development of that player is going to be higher. Yeah, I'm going to go quarter two. I mean, you know, it starts in the defensive end. I think he's going to make a big impact there right away. And then um, I, I just think there's enough there offensively. He can already post up, you know, smaller defenders and go to work. Um, really should have skill to do that at Auburn. I think he's a good transition player. Um, and then you just you just bank on him shooting 35 percent you know, in the NBA, 36%, 37, whatever, uh, from behind the arc. And if he's able to do that, I think he's, you know, five to six seasons into the league. He's, he's that name you're hearing every year at the trade deadline, right? Like, okay, how can the contender land this wing defender to help them get over the hump? Like, I think he's that kind of yeah. guy. Yeah. I, uh, the, the, the Robert Covington, uh, of this year, so let me preface this by saying I think all th- I think all three of these guys have the chance to be solid rotation two-way players, guys that are high-end rotation or starters. I really do think that about all those guys. Bain is the safest bet, though, in my opinion. Now he's nowhere near the defender that Okoro is. Okoro is freaky good on that end of the court, but with Bain's shooting ability and his team defense. He's just the easiest guy to copy and paste onto a roster. He's going to be good. He's just going to hit the ground running next season, whenever the hell the 2020-2021 season starts. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be the case for for Green and Okoro. So I just think his development curve is, you know, he may have uh, like fewer prime years, even though he's got a game that if he sticks around should translate really well. But it's like he's going to get to that that – median expectation before these other two guys, or at least he's got the better chance of doing that. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a 15 point a game scorer, but it just seems like a guy that can, whatever he scores, it's going to be efficient and he's going to again, be solid defensively too. So, and he's got he good size for the wing as well too. So I'll say Bain as the safest bet, therefore the most likely, but I, I'm not betting it's any of these guys turning into rotation players with wings in the NBA. All right. Well, that wraps up the episode for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. Uh, be sure to check out another episode releasing this week on Friday. I had the opportunity to interview Dutch Gately, assistant coach of the Charlotte Hornets, and got some insight on you know his rise up the ranks as a coach. And he also shared some thoughts on Greg Popovich as he used to coach under him. Uh, and again, if you guys want to support this podcast, please go ahead and give this a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you guys next time.